Good morning and uh, welcome to City Legal. It's, it's fantastic to see so many here, uh, whether you're joining us online because you're working from home like a lot of us still, uh, or you've got some watch party somewhere, or you're here in person, a very, very warm welcome to you. My name's Peter Wrench. City Legal is a community that exists to consider the bigger questions of life with silks and suits uh, in cities right around Australia. And um, um, yeah, we just, we really want to stand with you uh, at this difficult time. Uh, now the format for those who are new uh, in our midst, and a special welcome to you, is a short talk followed by a Q&A. And you can ask questions at any time by just texting to the number that you find on the, on the base of the screen, on the base of the chat screen, or uh, in the sheets of paper that you have in your midst. Now we're very privileged to have speaking for us again, uh, James Harrix, Senior Minister from St Matthias Centennial Park. Uh, he's got some of his supporters here this morning. Welcome to you as well. <laughs> and um, uh, But before he speaks, he's asked that a passage from the Bible be read to us. Uh, as you know, where uh, he's been speaking to us from the first letter of Peter to a small group of Christians. And I'm actually going to ask John Breen to come up. Thanks. Uh, welcome, John. Uh, John uh, works as a ministry apprentice with uh, James. I'm not going to, as I said last week, ask uh, John about working for James. But I'm going to ask you about your former boss or uh, as you worked as a lawyer, can you think of a time when you um, were under great pressure and what difference did being a Christian make in that situation? Yeah, so I remember uh, I, I worked in cor uh, corporate m and and I remember one of the deals I was doing uh, was very late in the night. Um, a little bit louder. Oh, very, it was very late in the night and uh, it was probably about mm, 4 a.m. in the morning when we were finishing, um, so quite a late deal. And I remember thinking, oh, what's the point in continuing? What's the point in, um, I can just give up, go home, um, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. And I remember thinking with my work colleagues, uh, oh, no, I've got to keep going because my boss needs me to do this thing. And I remember thinking also, uh, my boss actually is Jesus. And um, yeah, I'm called to work hard. Um, God is a worker God. Um, and he's given me this job to do. So that's, that's why I need to keep going. And my work colleagues were also starting to gossip and complain about our boss. And actually what I did was I closed the door in my office so I could get away from that uh, and not be involved and just get the work done. And we got the, we got the contract done about 6am. Uh, yeah. Okay. And what time did you go back to work the next day? 8am. So I okay. went home, quickly got a shower and then uh, came back and did it all again. Next okay. Day. Well, thank you very much for sharing. Now you're going to read to us and it's from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 18. So if you're here, you can open up your uh, sheets of paper and you'll find the passage. Or if you're at home uh, via Zoom, you can find the passage, a link to the passage there. So over to you, John, and then we'll get James up. Yeah. So we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks, John. And uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming in again. I uh, did wonder whether anyone would come back today. So uh, thanks for coming. Um, I don't know if you've, seen, if you've uh, heard the story of Tiger Woods uh, in a bar and uh, Stevie Wonder is told that he's standing next to Tiger Woods. And so he says uh, to Tiger, mate, how's the golf? He wouldn't have said mate because he's not Australian, but how's the golf? And Tiger said, oh, it's not that great, actually. I'm having some troubles with my swing. And, and, uh, and Stevie says to him, yeah, I know what you mean. What I find is if I have a break for a couple of months, uh, when I come back to it, I'm just much more relaxed and it just flows much better. And Tiger says, sorry, you play golf? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, how do you play golf? Uh, trying to be sensitive, but also, and Stevie said, oh, look, look, what I do is I get my caddy to stand halfway down the fairway and just kind of call out and I just hit in the direction of him. And Tiger says to him, yeah, but what do you do when you get to the green? He said, I'll get the caddy to lie down next to the hole and just kind of call at me and I hit towards the ball. And Tiger said, man, this is fantastic. Um, if you don't mind me asking, like, are you any good? He said, well, yeah, yeah actually, I play off scratch. And Tiger said, this is astounding. Uh, I'd love to have a game with you. And um, Steve said, look, people struggle to believe me. And so uh, I actually charge, uh, I kind of bet $10,000 a hole. So if, you, if you're good for that, I'm happy to. And uh, Tiger thinks for a moment and says, sure. Uh, and Steve says, look, uh, Tiger says, like, when do you want to play? Steve says, you choose the night. You choose the night. The, the great thing about that story is what it does is it turns over uh, expectations about what we think will happen. What we've seen in 1 Peter 2 uh, last week and uh, again today is that it transforms everything in terms of how we see and understand life. That is, the Christian message is not a message of kind of add some religion to your life or just try and be a better person. It's utterly transformational. It changes the way you see everything, the way you understand everything. And so we'll get back into um, to this. Uh, and part of the difficulty today uh, is I need to convince lawyers to suffer injustice. That's my challenge. I think it's the challenge of the passage. I need to convince people who've spent their whole careers fighting for justice, defending justice, fighting against injustice, to yourselves suffer injustice. That's where we're going. Uh, before we get there, there's a couple of things to look at. First of all, uh, Peter says, uh, God's people actually need to stand out. And then he says, uh, God's people need to submit to authorities. And then we'll have a think about the suffering injustice bit. So first of all, then, uh, Christians need to stand out. So if you look at the top of the page there, the, the passage you see, uh, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, again, Peter said, uh, you need to understand who you are. The, the question of identity we talked about last week is so significant. Uh, you guys are sojourners, weird old word. Uh, exiles, we have a better sense of. That is, you're outsiders, you're strangers, you're weirdos when it comes to your understanding of yourself in this world. You don't belong. Well, how will that look? What will be different? Verse 11, you'll abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. To which we say, why? <laughs> What's the point? Why stand out? 
Verse 12, so that the Gentiles or the unbelievers might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How does that work? Just, be, just to be clear, Peter's not saying that by kind of living good lives, everyone will become a Christian or that someone will become a Christian. He's not saying that at all. In fact, he's made it very clear that can't, that's impossible. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 23, he says people become Christians through the imperishable word, not through you being a nice person. So why stand out then? Look at verse 12. It's not to win the approval of others. It's not to win the salvation of others. Why? Well, it's for the glory of God. That's the reason we do anything in life. And Peter says, whatever people say against you, the life that glorifies God is frankly pretty attractive. To work with someone who is generous with their time, who is a word of comfort, uh, appropriately today on Are You OK Day, someone who is thoughtful and kind in the midst of great stress. It's just a pretty attractive quality. It doesn't kind of make someone a Christian but it does actually provide a context in which the conversations about Jesus are much easier to have. Uh, most of us don't know what it's like to go on a plane at the moment, uh, but if you kind of think back six months to when you were flying around the, uh, around the world, around the country, uh, you go on a plane and they do that thing where they kind of, the staff give you the safety advice, you know, you need to listen carefully, every plane's different, this is really important guys, you really need to pay attention, and what does everyone do? They grab their book, they check their emails, they fall asleep, put their headphones in, it's kind of like that, I think, when you try and raise the question of Jesus at work. The screensaver comes on, don't talk to me, I'm not interested, check my emails, whatever else. Peter says, when you live such good lives, you actually provide a context where that kind of conversation is much easier. So if we actually live for the glory of God, if we stand out as different, people will have less opportunity to believe their own press, to actually believe the line that Christians are evildoers. Sure, some of our views might be antiquated, uh, not as woke as others. Sure, we don't drink, join in the kind of drinking games and the carry on. But we're not jerks, because that just isn't going to help. So Christians stand out. Secondly, Christians submit to authority. That is part of our new identity as people who follow Jesus is to have a new lifestyle, not just when it comes to worldly passions, but also when it comes to authorities. And Peter says that involves being subject to them, submitting to them. And not just the ones we like, verse 13, every human institution, every human authority. Which is weird because you go like, isn't the deal with being a Christian that, you, that God's your authority, you just follow him. Uh, last month in the US, uh, a big church in LA made a very public stand against the kind of public health orders of the US government. We're not going to social distance. We're not going to wear face masks. We're not going to refuse to sing. We, we follow God. He's our authority. The state doesn't have any jurisdiction over us. Now, I suspect in this room, around Australia, we would have any number of opinions on this about what's right and how to respond. But look for a Look at 1 Peter 2 and see here that God has placed civic rulers over us for the good of society. 
Now, of course, that's not always true, but Peter's working assumption, if you see there in verse 14, is that governments generally will do a good job of punishing criminals and looking after the vulnerable. But it's still worth asking the question, why? Why submit to public health orders? I mean, we're Australians. We're as cynical as anyone about our leaders, particularly our political leaders. Why submit to their authority? Verse 15, for this is the will of God. This is the way that God has established things. That's why we submit, because of God. Not because of the government, not because we like them, not because we voted them in, not because they've you know, got great jokes, but because it's God's will. And more verse 15 again, by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's no surprise that people around are looking for opportunities to slam Christians. It was true in Peter's day, it's true in our day, it will be true in every day to come. The, the media quickly jump on Christians behaving badly. That's just the deal. And Peter says, as far as it depends on you, don't give them more opportunities. Don't let God's name be dragged through the mud. Like the previous section, take opportunities to do good. Don't earn a reputation for being lawless. Which I get is easier said than done, particularly for lawyers. Um, but to make it harder, what do you do when the authorities ask you to, to submit to that which is immoral? I mean, it's annoying that Peter doesn't have this disclaimer that, you know, we only submit to kind and wonderful rulers. But if you lived in Germany in 1939 and the SS knocked on your door and asked for the addresses of your Jewish friends, I suspect that most of us would want to say no. We'd refuse. On what basis can we do that? Look at verse 17, and I think this is the key verse of the section. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. See, there's a priority here, that is, to fear God actually informs the others. That, that's the key principle we submit to the authorities because we fear God, we submit to them as they do their job of kind of governing under God's rule, protecting citizens. But at the point at which they ask us to contradict our Christian conscience or our Christian convictions, we need to think and stop and pray and think, maybe we need to do something else. Think about Daniel in the Old Testament who held significant positions of authority in the government at the time, served under foreign rulers. But there were points at which he would not submit. When it came to particular food or bowing down to a statue, he sought to honour the emperor as he sought to fear God. And there's a particular application of this kind of principle as you come down to verse 18. That is, he applies it to the question of servants and masters, slaves and masters. And before we kind of freak out about the whole question of slavery, we need to remember this is not kind of 18th century America. This is not American history. Slavery in the first century is very, very different. Uh, that is, half the empire would have been made up of slaves, and many of them would have had significant positions of responsibility and authority and so on. But clearly, as Peter says, 
there were situations where masters did abuse their servants. That's the context for uh, Peter's words here in verses 18 and 19. So what's the servant to do when he or she suffers unjustly? Look at verse 20. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It feels almost impossible, doesn't it? We're so hardwired to look for revenge, to yell out for justice, that this word seems well, kind of completely against the grain. We hate being wronged. So when Peter says, put up with injustice, we don't get it. And so in our context with, you know, uh, the question of authority, it's probably more like uh, the situation at work where a young paralegal has to submit to the authority of a, a partner or whatever else it is. As John said a moment ago, we've all had situations where there is an overbearing boss. What does Peter say? Fear God, honour everyone. That is, we're so keen that people glorify God on that final day that we will suffer injustice. We will live differently. We will have transformed lives. And so to think of John's example for a moment, you've got a big project at work. Uh, your boss has said, you need to stay here until it's done. Uh, but you haven't seen your family all week. You've got friends coming around in the evening. What do you do? What's it mean to fear God and submit in that situation? Well, I guess it'll depend on the context, won't it? If you're a nurse in a COVID ward in Melbourne, I suspect you'll stay at work. That's what honouring everyone will probably mean. Or if your contract says that you need to get the projects done on time, that's the deal. But there are times when your employer will want to make a, requ a request that kind of goes beyond their remit. And you might want to carefully, gently, graciously push back a bit. Now, one employer I know asked his employers to vote a certain way. And again, you want to... Is that really, got, has that actually got anything to do with my job? I'm not sure you have a legitimate authority in that space. But here's the tension. We need to somehow hold on to this question of enduring sorrow, suffering injustice. Why? Like we're biologically kind of built to be averse to pain. We react to pain. Why would we actually suffer it? Come down to the last section, verses 21 to 25, and this is, this is absolutely critical we get this right. And I want to introduce it by asking this question. What impact has the death of Jesus had on you? If you can just think about this week, it's now Thursday morning, Monday to Thursday, what impact has the death of Jesus had on your life? See, that's the focus of these verses, to think about the death of Jesus and the impact it has on us. What does he do? Verse 24, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. What does that mean? Well, because our sin is so offensive, because it's so real, Jesus takes our sins on himself. He accepts the punishment for them. He takes the consequences of our sin on himself. 
Why? Verse 24 again, so we might die to sins and live to righteousness. It's this incredible transformation that takes place, that we move from this world of sin and we move to this world of righteousness. Everything changes. And there's a great comfort down there in verse 25. Now you've come, you've returned to our shepherd. That is, there is nothing that will ever happen to you that is as good as this. No event, no relationship, no house purchase, no holiday experience, no technological advance, no vaccine, no job will be as transformational as the death of Jesus for you. Sure, there's times when we want to kind of yell out, why is this happening? We're going to yell out, this is not fair. And for good reason. Here's the thing about suffering that I've had to learn over and over again. Suffering isn't democratic. It's not doled out equally. It is unfair. That's the nature of suffering. And some of us have to grapple with that. But we do that by looking at the death of Jesus. And you think about what led to his death, the mockery, the abuse, the torture, the scorn. It was completely unfair. He was completely innocent. There was no conceivable way in which the death of Jesus and what happened to him could be justified. He'd done nothing but good. But his life ended in this shameful way as he dies like a criminal. And what did he do? He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't make threats. He doesn't demand his rights. He doesn't thump the table and declare his innocence. And here's the rub, verse 21. He did this to leave you an example that you should follow in his steps. I said at the beginning that I was trying to attempt the impossible today to convince people who are committed to justice to suffer injustice. But of course, this isn't my request. Don't follow me on this. Don't stand out. Don't submit because I said so. Now, this is the transformed life that we see here in 1 Peter. The call comes from a loving Savior who suffered injustice first, who gives us an example to follow and the promise of glory. All right, pause there and see if we've got some questions. Thanks, Pete. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, most of the questions are coming from our friends in Melbourne. And uh, I just want to say from, for those of us from Sydney, uh, how much we appreciate your stand, the complexity of your situation, as you wrestle with very difficult issues. Having chatted to a number of friends in Melbourne over the last few weeks, I'm conscious even from a distance of the struggle and the strain that you are under. So there's one question here uh, from a friend in Melbourne who just expresses the challenges that people in Melbourne are feeling. People need patience and endurance as people are suffering. And so again, from those of us in different parts of the world, we want to stand with you and affirm that struggle that you're having, particularly our friends in Melbourne. Uh, another question, what's the balance between submitting to authorities and protesting against bad policy and practice? 
Again, I think that's why I raised the question of the church in LA, because I suspect that uh, for all of us, we'll kind of position ourselves differently in terms of that kind of example. At what point do you persist patiently in putting up with what you think is bad public policy? And at what point is it right uh, to stand against it? I think if you actually get first 17 right, and so if your own head, if you think my ultimate aim is to fear God, and as I fear God, I express that by honoring everyone, how, how we work that out, I suspect will be different for us depending on the context and depending on how we work it out. So I'm not going to kind of give one rule, uh, but I think with yeah, gracious, patient, uh, gracious patience with prayer and thought, we do what we can to work that out. Um, should Christian lawyers advise Christian clients to put up with injustice uh, when they might have a legal remedy? I think that's different, actually. That is, there is a job you have to do in terms of protecting and caring for citizens uh, in this country. And it's right you do that. I think Peter's question is for God's people, as they respond to the gospel, how do they suffer injustice? Um, I know these are complex questions and they're important that we wrestle with. Um, what about advising non-Christian clients? What do we do there? Again, I don't think it's about others as much as it's about ourselves. Am I prepared to suffer injustice because I follow a crucified king? That's the question that matters. Uh, and so I think I'm not going to sort of force that on others unwillingly and unwittingly. It's a question for me, actually. Um, weren't the people in the LA church simply thinking the government were trying to usurp God's authority? Yes, they did. Uh, that's what they thought. Um, how do we stop ourselves being idiots when we make the wrong judgment call? <laughs> I think that's a really important question. Um, uh, there's a sense in which, as I said at the beginning, uh, God's people are called to be uh, sojourners and exiles. We know this isn't our home. We will be out of kilter, out of step with the world we live in. But we don't want to do that in such a way that we put a blockage in terms of conversations about Christian things. So there is a kind of tension, there is a balance, and I think we need to hold that tension rather than, resolve, rather than kind of think we can resolve it neatly and uh, kind of square it away. It, life's not like that, you know that, I, you know, I know that. So I think that will take some work. Um, it'll be, it's better to be, uh, the comment here is, it's better to be spurned by the world because of our adherence to the gospel, not because we simply have, have BO. Fair, fair. Uh, that's it for the questions. Hand back to you, Pete. Thanks, mate. Uh, will you join me in thanking James for um, pouring his heart out uh, in front of us, please? Uh, uh, now, uh, next week, um, we've got something exciting happening for you, and there's also something at 11 o'clock today. I'm going to get David Robertson up to tell us about it. Thanks. Yeah, we're going to Canberra, if you can. Uh, Come to Canberra. We always enjoy Canberra. It's great. And if not, join us online. Um, 
what we're going to do in, in Canberra is we had uh, a paper from Nicholas Aroni. Is that how you pronounce it? Aroni. Aroni. Okay. Nicholas Aroni, which was very stimulating, but I want to give a slightly different uh, take on what he was saying. So I want to interact with that paper. We're going to look at uh, law and education and religion. And you can join us online uh, or hopefully see you in Canberra, beautiful Canberra. Peter? Yes. And at Silks here as well. Yep, you can. Still at Silks. Yep, still at Silks. You can still come to Silks. Um, and as a preparation for that, Steve McAlpine and I recorded, we do this thing called the kitchen table, and we recorded yesterday a discussion on a video from the New South Wales Legal Society, is that what you call it? Law Society, which was basically a dumbed down, I'm assuming it's dumbed down, or maybe it was a highly educated, I'm not sure, but a dumbed down version of what is law and what is law for. And I thought it was utterly fascinating uh, and wrong. But um, so uh, uh, Steve and I have a discussion about the New South Wales Legal Society and uh, what is law. I mean, most of it was, was right, but there were some aspects of it. I was going, wow, really? Seriously? So that's being premiered live at 11 o'clock. You'll all be at work, but you can catch up with it on YouTube uh, another time. And I understand if you go to the Third Space uh, website, you'll be able to join in live. It's called Kitchen Table. So if you, if you have got 15 minutes at 11 o'clock. So thank you so much for being with us today.